Happy New Year. Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, what Build Back Better really means and why it's hard. We'll talk to Alex Vezina, the CEO of Prepared Canada Corporation. We'll meet Dan Laflamme of Next Properties, who's introducing a new, very sophisticated air filtration system into his new Vancouver condo development. And we'll be joined by Dr. Anna Wolak, physician, UBC professor, and mom of three, who has some thoughts on the delay of return to school here in BC. So let's get started. Good morning. Happy New Year. Saw this story in the paper the other day at the headline, What Build Back Better Really Means and Why It's Hard. And then I saw the name of the author and I thought, well, we have a we have a connection. The, the story was written by Alex Vezina. Mr. Vezna is the CEO of Prepared Canada Corporation and has been a guest on our program in the past. Alex Vezna, welcome back. Good morning and Happy New Year. Good morning, Happy New Year, and actually, nice to hear Convoy again. It's been a while. I kind of <laughs> forgot the song. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to find it again and give it, give another listen and share it with some people. 10-4, good, buddy. You got it. So, uh, uh, No kidding. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, Joe Biden is all over this Build Back Better stuff. It's a big deal in the States. He's really selling it hard. Uh, the Trudeau government has been leaning on it a bit, but to a lesser extent so far in Canada. But you say, here's a two-parter, what it really means, Alex, and why it's hard. So what do you mean? What does this Build Back Better mean? Because it sounds more like a bumper stick political slogan than an actual uh, uh, guideline to a business plan. So, yeah, and part of its business plan and part of its uh, really just fundamentals of emergency management and uh, a lot about what uh, my my field uh, does. So Build Back Better is actually pretty simple and pretty literal. Uh, Imagine your your house gets destroyed by something. Um, Ideally, if uh, it was an older house especially and, you know, it being built better would have resulted in it not being destroyed, uh, that when it's rebuilt, you build it back better. Sure. It's, 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 it's very literal. And even when you're dealing with um, rebuilding like a, a, a system that isn't uh, physical, like rebuilding a social network or anything you're rebuilding, it's, it's very literal. When something uh, happens that destroys it or makes it, uh, in in some sort of condition where you have to repair it, you build it back better. Right, and that, it came out of it, it came out of Hurricane Katrina. That was when we first started to hear it. After all the devastation back in New Orleans, so they decided to rebuild. Obviously, there's going to try to build back better, and it stuck. Yeah, um, and actually, they didn't try to build back better in Katrina. They uh, they they in many cases they said that they were going to, and they didn't. They didn't. Um, right, right. And and that's one thing I, I I put in the piece. In some places they did, some places they didn't. Um, but uh, and I think there's uh, some signif- there's some parallels here to what uh, you'll, you'll be seeing in uh, in in your in your province in British Columbia uh, because of the recent flooding. Sure. Uh, which which I'm sure um, it, I mean is on everybody's minds. Um, so in Katrina, one thing that happened when the levees broke and when it was time for the recovery phase and for everyone to uh, for for things to be building back. Um, because the Army Corps of Engineers is a federal resource, and because of a technicality um, in the American system, they had to rebuild the levees back to the exact way they were before they broke. Oh, boy. Knowing the failures in the levees. Yikes. 
because they weren't allowed as a federal resource to unfairly give anything extra to a state. Because if they built, if they spent more money and gave more to Louisiana, it's right. not fair to everybody else. Uh, which means they had to make the levies ready to fail again. It's it's a really weird technicality when you're dealing with um, federal and state level or provincial level um, resources, where sometimes the federal government isn't allowed to give all of the uh, things that the specific province or state needs in order to actually solve the problem. Uh, sometimes it's political reasons, sometimes it's regulation reasons, but it's, it gets fairly complicated, and it's kind of weird because ideally you would not want the levies to break again, and you would not want to cause a whole bunch of death destruction and, uh, you know, costs and all the sort of bad things that you associate with a giant windstorm turning everything into a parking lot. Right. Well, Alex, it's a good point. You good point it, uh, to, uh, to to bring BC into the conversation because the uh, flooding occurred in a, in an area that had a long a hundred years or more ago been a lake that was drained and dikes and levees were built around it. And over the years, uh, it has been mentioned in countless uh, security and uh, uh, transportation summaries and uh, reports that this is going to fail. And darn if it didn't. And uh, so now when we build back the Fraser Valley levee system, they've been patched for now. But one can only hope they don't repeat what they did in the States. And we do actually build back better in the Fraser Valley. Yeah, and it's going to be a challenge, right? The, we, we may or we may not actually do, uh, do it to the level that's needed um, for, you know, the resourcing reasons I just talked about. Yeah. And the other thing is, and this is a, a fairly subtle at the end of the piece, the problem you have is our, our system is really complicated. By that, I mean, I mean our whole government, our whole country, the way everything works. And in order to give more money to levies or more money to watershed management, which is really what this is, sure. um, you have to take it from somewhere else. And every infrastructure is operating at the brink of collapse all the time because as more people are here and pe- more people use more things, um, the infrastructures get more and more strained. It's just, it's just a reality. Um, so when you take from one thing to help another thing, you increase the chance that the thing that you took from collapses sure. catastrophically. That's right. And then because that just collapsed catastrophically, you have to take from a different thing to fix that thing. And you have a cycle of reallocating resources that essentially partly causes things to fail. Um, and we take resources away from things when we haven't had something bad happen there in a while because we forget about it. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why you see these global pandemics that just obliterate um, uh, government systems every 100 years, every 50 years. And they don't generally happen at the same type of level every, like, 5, 10 years because people are still scared 5, 10 years later. Same thing with massive floods. If you just rebuilt the levees and you just built them back better, they haven't had enough time to erode they haven't had enough time to, <laughs> to, to get worse, and people haven't forgotten yet because it just happened. Yeah. So it is, this type of stuff happens like this, and everything's connected, but it's pretty complicated. Right, and, and of course, complicated even more, Alex, by the fact that every bit of it is being done uh, with borrowed money. Uh, and, and a country that's already, uh, and, and, and I was going to say enjoying, it's a terrible word, but in a situation of unprecedented national debt. And so that's going to, I would think, slow down the process of anything, wouldn't it? Uh, it might, but the, but the thing is, you're going to have that anyways. Like any, doesn't matter how rich the country is, the size of the infrastructure projects you have, um, if a country isn't spending all of its money on improving its infrastructure, something is wrong anyways, like something weird is happening. Usually if you have spare capital 
you throw it at a problem before it happens to save money in the long road. It's mm. the same argument as the insurance argument, except it's better if uh, you know the car never crashes in the first place. Um, so you're going to have that problem no matter what. It doesn't matter how much debt you have because you're going to give yourself the problem by trying to fix problems with the spare money. Sure. <laughs> so you're going to. It does like that, that's why. Like it might, it might seem like it's going to be worse, but we're going to have this problem anyways. If yeah. we were suddenly rich tomorrow as a country, we would fix ten problems and be right back at neutral. Exactly. And around and around it goes. Alex, and great, around and around it goes. great to have you back on the show. We'll do this again because we we don't really have much of a roadmap in Canada yet. The Biden people are hard selling this south of the line, but so far the Trudeau people aren't. And as they can confront their new fiscal realities, I expect to see this starting to roll out a little more frequently here. And when they do, let's talk about it some more. Okay? It sounds great. Alex Besnick, and Happy New Year. Great to have you back on the show, sir. We appreciate it. Happy New Year. Great to be back. And uh, this this is a great show. And uh, you are definitely one of my favorite radio hosts. All right. Thanks very much. There's Alex Vesna. So nice to have you with us on this New Year's Day. Sterling Fox with Phil Figueredo and Jonathan Chung on Global News Radio Vancouver. It is 719. Air purification is needed to control the spread of COVID in 2022. This is a fact. The rapidly spreading Omicron variant, mainly transmitted by airborne particulates, particularly when people cough or sneeze. The need for clean air in buildings and homes has never been greater. A new home development here in Vancouver is showing the way forward in providing a purified air environment. The development is called Clive at Collingwood. It's right up on Joyce, right next to the Joyce Skytrain station, and it features an air filtration system, the likes of which does not exist in residential uh, developments anywhere in Vancouver. The developer of Clive at Collingwood is Next Properties. Its CEO is Dan Laflam. Mr. Laflam joins us now. Dan, good morning. Welcome and Happy New Year, sir. Yeah, good morning. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, the teachers of British Columbia are insisting that prior to returning to school, they're going to try to delay class returns for a few days. And in those few days, Dan, they're hoping that school boards across the province install even more air purification systems. You're ahead of the game on this with Clive at Collingwood. Uh, tell us how you got to the point where you decided to invest in this super-duper air cleaning technology as part of your new development. Yeah, it was all driven around um, just kind of personal interest and needs having um, coming from a long line of allergy sufferers and Mm. people suffering from immunocompromised um, immune systems and just thinking about how to integrate kind of some of these um, health factors into new residential development where start to think that people deserve more out of their housing than they're currently getting and you know how can we do that and after a number for a long line of research i've come across um a system called dfs which is a healthway uh system out of the united states which essentially stands for a disinfecting filtration system which is a system that uses uh highly ionized or supercharged uh, energy fields integrated into a series of filters that charge ultra-fine particulates, forcing them to cluster together and make them larger, which allows filters to effectively capture them and create kind of an, an environment where it prevents any re-emergence of bacteria or viral regrowth from the capture of these particulates. And um, it's a miles ahead of where HEPA um, 
is, and you know, HEPA seems to be the industry standards, and the air filtration system really hasn't um, evolved much from from that point up until now. So we're really happy to have come across this and to integrate this into our homes. Sure. Now, this DFS system that you discovered in the United States, Dan, mm-hmm. is also it's it's up and running at places like the Mayo Clinic and American Hospitals and so on. How long has it been around? Well, it's been it's been in development for over the past ten years, and its inception was actually funded through military grants from the U.S. Uh, Army to kind of create a new filtration system um, for their use. And it, you know, and it's just over the last ten years, it's really taken off and now started to enter into the consumer marketplace, where they've adapted units in this technology to fit into either systems that are integrated into your building or your more traditional role and plug them into your into your home, yeah. uh, like most of the ones exist. Now, Dan, you, you've taken the unusual step of, of stepping out and incorporating this new technology into your new building. You're ahead of the curve by quite a distance at this point. However... From your vantage point, can you see a time when this type of DFS, DFS rather, air purification system becomes compulsory in new home construction in our corner of the world? You know, and, and it's an interesting statement because in the corner in Australia, as an example, um, in other parts of the world, they've already integrated this into new home building bylaws where air filtration down to a certain uh, size particulate are, are mandatory now for all new developments. And absolutely, I think it's it's not just us being ahead of the curve. I, I think that um, everybody should be doing this. Indoor air quality has been a challenge for so long. Sure. That, you know, it's one of those things that go relatively unseen and unchecked. So it doesn't get a lot of attention. But because of these virus, because of COVID, it's really shone a spotlight on the need for kind of indoor air control and quality. So, yeah, I hope that um, in the future it, it's mandatory in all indoor spaces. So now Clive at Collingwood is a nice looking building, by the way. I take SkyTrain a lot. And I've watched it being constructed from, you know, just a big hole in the ground to what it is now. It's a lovely looking building. It's got 68 units in it. And it all, all every unit, the entire complex features this brand new Healthways DFS air purification system as a prospective buyer into a building like this how much extra does that air purification system add to the cost of my unit dan well that's that's it we've decided that the extra cost would be zero we just feel that this um being a way to move forward with managing indoor air quality and the health of residents um, and our community is this shouldn't cost people extra to be healthy. Right. It shouldn't cost people extra to have these things that are, you know, should be a, a standard offering in homes. So, you know, the answer is nothing. It doesn't cost anything extra. And now who's keeping an eye on you? Clearly, if you are at a point where you're seeing in other countries, you mentioned Australia, for example, mm-hmm. where these sorts of, of, of uh, new innovations in air filtration have become car- part of the building code, who's keeping an eye on what you're doing at Clive at Collingwood locally that might eventually incorporate such a system into the Vancouver area building code? And no one's really paying any attention to it, but we're trying to raise the level of awareness and we're trying to force these discussions and force kind of people to the table 
to kind of um, to kind of have these open table discussions about what can be done, whether it's our DFS system or it's another system. I just think there's an expectation now from the public that people get more and that we take we start taking people's health a lot more seriously than than we have been traditionally. And going forward, it's a safe bet that next properties will include the DFS systems in all of your future uh, developments, correct? Absolutely. Everything from now on that we'll be building will incorporate this level of, of care and filtration into each unit. Well, it's, and it's exciting, Dan. It's an exciting innovation, <laughs> uh, far, far due in terms of timing. And congratulations for being first on the mark. Well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. We're excited. We're excited to move forward and we're excited what the future holds for um, for this system. And if you'd like to find out more about this, Next Properties is spelled N E X S T. Yeah, surprise there, friends. <laughs> N-E-X-S-T properties.com. Dan Laflamme is the CEO of Next Properties. Thanks very much for this, Dan. We do appreciate your joining us on New Year's Day. Thank you, and Happy New Year's to you. Same to you. Well, as COVID-19 cases surge across our province, the B.C. government has delayed the start of the school year for most students. Children with special needs and children of health care workers will return on January 3rd or 4th as planned, but everyone else will go back on January 10th, one week later than initially scheduled. Teachers and school staff will be expected back in the classroom next week. The delay will give the province time to better assess the impacts of the Omicron variant and developed an enhanced safety measures for a return to the classroom. One parent quite affected by this, along with many, many thousands of other British Columbians, is Dr. Anna Wolak, a family physician, UBC professor, and good friend of this program. Dr. Anna, good morning, welcome back, and Happy New Year. Good morning, Happy New Year, and thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you back with us. Uh, Now, you have three children, two of whom are elementary school aged, correct? Three of them. All three now, okay. Yes, all three. Now, last time you and I had a chance to talk, Dr. Anna, was about a month or so ago, and this was just in the wake of the announcement about vaccinations being made available to British Columbians five years old and up. And you were pretty excited about that, giving having uh, the opportunity to have your children immunized. I'm assuming that has taken place. Of course, they got vaccinated on the very first day they were eligible. Now, uh, what do you know as a parent and a physician about the vaccination rate amongst elementary school children in B.C.? So from what I understand, the vaccination rate for children age 5 to 11 is still quite low. It's about 40 percent, which we were hoping would have been higher by now, especially since we know, especially in the wake of Omicron and we know there was a lot of pent-up excitement, at least among my own social group, mm. as, as well as my professional group. But my own social group, we were all very keen on getting it. And in fact, when my kids went and got vaccinated, I think I think five or six of their friends ended up there at the same time. So it was a cute little party. But the initial uptake was really good, and then it started slowing down. And it's starting to lag. And we're hearing more and more about children in this age group getting infected with COVID, most likely Omicron. Yes. Now, just a quick question, Dr. Anna. Where did your children get vaccinated? I suspect not in a school environment. No, they were vaccinated at the um, Italian Cultural Center. Okay, so that's uh, that's the deal. When, when children in British Columbia get their vaccinations, they don't get them at school. 
No, no, they have to register and get it in a mass vaccination clinic. Well, not a lot of par- not all parents even understand that elementary fact, Dr. Anna. So it's good to have you on this morning to just sort of go through the ABCs of getting your kids vaccinated. Yeah, so to get the kids vaccinated, you have to make sure they're registered under the Get Vaccinated system the same way adults are. And then they will get a, and then once they're registered, they get the text or email to book. Right. And then you you book online and then take the kid to to the vaccination sites. On When we went, because we were the first day, we were with everybody else. But from what I understand now, there are in the mass vaccination all ages sites there are even separate lines for kids and there are separate vaccination sites that are even just for families and it's very clearly spelled out when you book online so parents can pick where their parents have where, where their children have their vaccine interesting so you can go to a nice lively family friendly environment if you want and and just to make it even more conducive to a positive experience when a child receives a vaccine uh, is the distance between the first and second shot dr anna the same as it is for an adult 21 days or 28 days depending on the the uh, the immunization component in BC, the gap between first and second doses is eight weeks. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So little kids, it, they take it a little easier. Now, can we flip the, the, the conversation a little bit to the teacher's side of, of, of this equation? Because they have been most uh, strident in the past few days about the need for getting booster shots into teachers and school staff, which they don't see as happening as quickly as possible. From, uh, from again, from the point of view of a physician looking at this request, it seems reasonable enough on the surface is it oh it's more than reasonable and this is something that i've been campaigning for for a while now especially since there's been data that's come out and it's low it's well it's canadian data from uh, the ontario science table that shows that even with two do- with two doses of mrna vaccine either moderna or pfizer right. which shows greater than 90 percent protection from hospitalization or death which is great but the chances of transmission and of catching um, the Omicron variant, it's dropped down to 14.9% protection. Mm So we are are protected. The vaccine is doing what it should. We are protected from being hospitalized or, or dying. But the chance of actually catching Omicron and having the chance of catching Omicron and having any sick, um, any symptoms and therefore any loss of loss of time off work and all of that right. is is significantly lower. And so it's it's been so strange to me that teachers who were expedited for dose one are not being expedited for their booster shot. Okay, so that makes sense to you too. I wanted to ask uh, about also in, in terms of uh, the, the way the, the, the system is coming together and, and the sequencing of shots and all the rest of it. As Again, as a parent, uh, when we go back to school, it's, it's been delayed a few extra days. Uh, are you comfortable, though, that when the return to school, when the doors are finally open, it's going to be okay? It actually makes me very nervous because we're not clear on what this extra week is buying us. And we, we have, we've had reassurance from Minister Whiteside that there are, that ventilation systems yes. have been upgraded, mm-hmm. but, we don't have, but nobody has seen any proof of that. 
Um, there's no, we know that rapid testing is meant to be implemented, but we're not sure how it's going to be implemented. And I know, I think that's what this week is for, and I'm hoping that we get a better picture overall. But aside from that, we're not doing anything, we're not doing much to address what's happening in the community. So during this week, when kids are at home, when we're keeping them safe at home, the parents can, say, go out to Rogers Arena with 9,000 of their best friends and watch a hockey game, mm. for example. And we know that transmission in the community rates are ridiculously high. And that sort of community transmission, if it's not mitigated, can translate into the schools as well, where we know our kids are at best 40% are protected with just one dose. Yeah, uh, well, that doesn't fair. That doesn't look good for what the school year is coming. If we don't mitigate the community transmission and protect their protect them against the airborne transmission. And final question to you, Doctor Wolak. This morning, uh, we're we're seeing some of the numbers again from yesterday's briefing, and we're seeing hospitalization numbers not increasing proportionately with the increasing number of cases reported. Uh, are we reading too much into those numbers to say that that's a relief? It is somewhat promising, but we also have to look at, and it's following that that um, those numbers I mentioned earlier, that the vaccines are working, and we have a very good vaccination rate in adults. And so we do have that 90 or so protection, percent protection against hospitalization and death, yeah. but we have that increased transmission. Now, the thing that we need to look at is even a small percentage of a very large number is still enough to overwhelm the hospitals and put the strain on the system. And it's not just COVID that would be straining the hospitals at this time. The big worry that we all have is we know that respiratory viruses, especially children this year, this winter, are can be very tough. We know that there are a lot of kids in hospital with other things other than, than COVID. Yeah. With the snow and hypothermia or accidents on the road because of the snow, any little thing can tip the hospital system into into crisis mode, and that's why we're really concerned. It it is promising that it that the COVID numbers for hospitalizations are low, but we we have to take that with a grain of salt, and we can't just go out partying and yeah. celebrating. Because let's not read too too much into that and, and make too much of it. Doctor Anna Wallach, always a pleasure to have you join us on the on the weekend morning show, and uh, thanks for this today. And again, happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live 6 to 9 weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.